Well, I want to say that I do love America. I love our country. I love our history. I love our heritage. I love our freedom. I love our Constitution. And I'm so grateful to have been born in a country that has the past that our country has. Uh, there have been times, always there have been many times in our country when the nation has been divided. Obviously, the greatest division was that uh, during the Civil War in which the nation actually fought with, the, with itself. And uh, hundreds of thousands of Americans died in that great conflict. And uh, there have been other times that our country has gone to war. We have had to battle against uh, foreign enemies on foreign soil. And then uh, back in the 1960s, I remember our nation was divided rather seriously. And uh, I can well remember that. And uh, especially over civil rights and over the war in Vietnam. But uh, we survived that. And uh, today... We're facing a new division in our country, very serious division in our country. I don't know that I have ever known in my lifetime our country to be as polarized as it is right now. And as I watch the news, I see that there's a, an enemy that is uh, longing to destroy our country as we have known it. I see a bunch of... Uh, I'll probably say this wrong, but I see a bunch of spoiled, rich brats who uh, feel entitled and they think that the world or the country owes them something and they want to see those who have worked hard and have secured uh, uh, financial success, they want to see money taken away from them and given to the lazy and to the uh, ones who don't want to work. And so what they basically want is a Marxist overthrow of our national government. They want to see our country become a socialist country, and according to Karl Marx, socialism is a bridge between capitalism and communism. And so that's the desire in the hearts of many, many people today. Now, thankfully, the, uh, that group is smaller, probably, than we think it is. Because when we watch the news, especially if we watch uh, mainstream media, we get the idea that the whole country is uh, opposed to uh, freedom and to capitalism. That's not true. But there are many who are. And I want to, uh, I, I've just had so many thoughts. I could not put it all together in any kind of organized way this week. So I'm calling this just ramble, uh, random ramblings this morning about our republic. And uh, I want to give you two verses out of the Bible. One is Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Proverbs 14, 34. That says simply that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So it is right 
when the country is righteous to love a righteous country. But sin is a reproach to any people. And then Psalm 33, verse 12, uh, says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is Yahweh, is Jehovah God, the people whom he has chosen for his heritage. Now, I realize that that was spoken about and to Israel, and we are not Israel, that's for sure, but we do have some things in common with Israel. Our faith, actually our national faith, grew out of the Jewish faith. The new covenant grew out of the old covenant, which predicted, prophesied, and prepared the world for the new covenant, for the Messiah. And so many of the blessings of the old covenant are ours when we are new covenant people. And we as Christians, we are new covenant people. So I had a dozen questions that I asked this morning answer. I may not get all 12 of them, but I'll try to take a stab at some. One, the first thing, is it wrong to love your country? Is it wrong to love your country? And by the way, a country and the government of that country are two different things, actually. For instance, if you lived in Germany in 1940, you might say, I love my country, but I hate my government. See, it'd be possible. If you lived in Italy during the rule and reign of Mussolini, you might say, I love Italy, my home country, but I despise the governing powers in our country. And in America, we have been blessed over the years, for the most part, to have governing authorities who shared and were chosen, elected by people who shared the Judeo-Christian belief and ethic. So I don't think it's wrong to love your country if that country is seeking to be righteous. I could see a time when I might say I don't love America. If America, as a nation as a government, and even as a nation, turned against God, I would turn against America. But at this particular time in my life, I can say I think it is right for us to love America. What is a country? What is a country? Now, here's just kind of a general definition that I've made up, so I don't know whether this is right or not, but I said it is a, a group of people that are prescribed by specific borders and citizenship with a commitment to a common purpose, a shared heritage, and a vision for the future. So there are about 2,010 countries in the world today. All of those countries have this in common. They have a distinct border. They know this is where we start. This is where we stop. They have uh, citizenship requirements. And so the people who are citizens of that country. Can have certain responsibilities and privileges. 
and they have a history. They have a they can look back and say, this is what made us who we are today. And they have a vision. This is where we're headed, where we want to be. That's a country. How is America different from other countries? And it is different. Did you know that most countries have indigenous, homegrown people who have a history that go way, way back and they say that, for instance, the Bulgarian country have largely Bulgars, Bulgarian people, who make up that country. Now, they have some others. They have some people that have invaded them and taken them over. They have some gypsy people. They have some Turkish people. But for the most part, they have a... a, a, a what's the word? Uh, not genetic... Uh, anyway, all their people come pretty much from the same stock. America is different. America is a country made up totally of immigrants. Everybody in America, not individually, but, but all of us came from some other country, except the Native Americans, the the American Indians are the only ones who could say this land is our land because it was their land. But the rest of us, the ones who actually make up the citizenship, 330 million of us, say our ancestors came here from somewhere else. They came from Great Britain. They came from Spain. They came from France. They came from some other country. It's an unusual thing. We're called, I learned when I was in the fifth grade that America considered itself a melting pot where all the people came. So how in the world could you ever have any kind of united states of America with 330 million people who've come from other places? What is it that binds us together and holds us together? And it is our faith, but also our written constitution. What an unusual document is our constitution. And uh, I don't know, uh, unfortunately, so many kids aren't taught much about, about civics. They aren't taught much about how our country developed. And then today, the ones that are being taught are being mistaught. They're being taught error about how our country was established. But I want to tell you, we have our founding fathers were men who had an amazing vision of a country that would be made up of righteous people, good people, people of virtue, and they wrote the Constitution to rule and lead and guide good people. Listen to some of the John Adams said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other kind. Isn't that amazing? 
Thomas Paine said, Whenever we are planning for posterity, we ought to remember that virtue is not hereditary. It has to be renewed in every generation. Samuel Johnson said, No people can be great who have ceased to be good, who have ceased to be virtuous. And again, John Adams said, We have no government armed with power, capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. Greed and pride and revenge would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. You see, the point is that our government is set up to guide people who have the Judeo-Christian faith. It was designed to help good people stay good and pass on their virtue by teaching it to the next generation and insisting upon it in every generation. Whenever the pillars of Christianity shall be overthrown, our present republican forms of government and all the blessings which flow from them must fall with them. That was Jedediah Morris. So our country is unique. It's different from any other country on the planet. What is the purpose of government? What, what, what is a government for? What is our government for? What are any government for? The governing powers should be to protect its people and to help them be safe and secure. Our government, according to the preamble of our Constitution, it says we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, to have a good, healthy union of states, establish justice, ensure domestic peace or tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity. For those purposes, we do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. So when is a country, when is a government corrupt? Do we have a corrupt government today? When is a government corrupt? A government is corrupt when it ceases to do these things ceases to provide for, protect its citizens and begins to seek its own power and personal prosperity. That's when a government, whether it is a king or whether it is a parliament or whether it is a congress or whether it is a president, ceases to be what it ought to be and becomes corrupt when it seeks its own 
prosperity, seeks its own power, and seeks its own pleasure rather than seeking the good for its citizens. Our country has had a couple of national sins. I've mentioned this before. There's no way we can justify or defend the coming to this land and taking away the land that belonged to Native American people, American Indians. There's no way to justify it. We can understand it because at that time in the 1700s and 1800s, especially in the 1700s, 1600s, all the nations of Europe were expansionists. They were all colonizing. They were all reaching out, and they were taking lands. Again, no justification for it, but it was, it's not like the settlers that came to America were the only ones who did this. All the nations of Europe, Portugal, France, Spain, and Great Britain, were all colonial expansionists. So right or wrong, good or bad, doesn't make any difference now, does it? If we could go back and have the conscience in 1600 that we have today, things might have been different. So our first national sin was that of taking land that belonged to indigenous people. And then obviously the second was enslaving people and bringing them to this country to be unpaid workers and often severely mistreated and denied their rights, their dignity, and even their humanity. Again, there's no way to justify it, no way to defend it, But again, there's an understanding element to it in that all of the nations of the world were practicing slavery at that time. And by the way, many of the nations of the world still practice slavery today. And there are slaves right here in America today. Thousands, thousands of slaves in America today. Abused, misused, unpaid, mistreated, facing fear and even death. Many. But no way to justify it, no way to defend it. It was wrong. It was a national sin. Let me say, over the last 60 years, America has become repentant for its sins, its national sins. Not every American, but America as a whole and as a policy and as a government has said we were wrong. And they have asked forgiveness and they have put into practice policies that are opposed to racism. People ask me so much the last few months, 
Do you believe America is racist? I believe there are some racists in America. But I grew up, when I was your age, Cookie, I lived in a, a racist America. I know what racism looks like, and I know what it feels like, and I know what it is, and it is not what is in place in America today. There are racists, there's no doubt. There are angry people, there are hate-filled people on both sides of the color scheme. There are blacks who hate whites, and there are whites who hate blacks. But as a nation, no matter what color you are, you have rights, you have privileges, you have responsibilities that are equal. And people say, well, do you not believe in white privilege? Hmm? I believe I had some privilege because I was white. And I believe that African-American friends of mine and Hispanic friends of mine started a few feet behind in the race. And they had a little heavier weight to carry than I had. So I would call that privilege on my part. But I know this, that every person in America who is willing to obey the law, take personal responsibility, study hard and work hard, can succeed. And uh, there's a lot more that could be said about that. I know some of you are thinking some thoughts right now. I see the little bubbles over your head, you know. Uh, well, yeah, well, what about, what about? And uh, I was going to say, what about police brutality? Just like I believe there are some racist people, I believe there are some policemen who are racist one by one, they are being pushed out of different police departments. And most police chiefs in America are trying desperately to weed out racist policemen, black or white. And I believe in our country, some of the finest people in America wear the badge, and wear the uniform. They are committed at a really, really low salary compared to what they could be making maybe in other places. They are committed to protecting and serving in our country. When Mike Angeloff came to America 22 years ago, I said something about we had a Christian policeman in our church down here in Ovilla, and he looked shocked. He said, a Christian policeman? How can that possibly be? 
He said, there can be no such thing as a Christian policeman. And so he and I went about until I went to Bulgaria. And I understood where he was coming from. There are no Christian policemen in Bulgaria. They're part of the mafia, and their task is to intimidate and to uh, take, not to defend and serve. And he said after he was here for a little while, he said, my, my concept of policemen has radically changed. He said, I would have never thought of a Christian policeman any more than you would have thought of a Christian murderer, Christian hitman or something like that. But he said, I, now I know there are Christian policemen. And I'm so thankful that we have men and women who serve in our country to protect, defend, and help. And if that line of defense is defunded, abolished, eliminated, I assure you there will still be enforcement. It's just that that enforcement will come from a less virtuous people and then people will be screaming we want our policemen back so what are our national achievements what did our founders do right by the way all of our founding fathers had one thing in common And it's something they have in common with all of us. They were all sinners. They were all imperfect. They made some really good decisions. And they made some really bad decisions. You know anybody else that's ever made some good decisions and bad decisions? Mm Mm-hmm. I think if we had a mirror, we could all see somebody that's done that. Yeah, I've certainly made some good decisions that I look back and say, boy, praise God, I'm so thankful I made that choice. But I also look back and I say, man, if I hadn't have made that choice, what a difference it would have made. I've made bad choices as a person, as a pastor, as a partner, and as a parent. That's my pod of peas of wrong decisions over the years. I've, and our founding fathers made some bad choices. We've already talked about that. But what did they do right? They wrote a constitution. It was not easy. They wrote a constitution based on principles of liberty and justice and scripture. Now, you go back and read the quotes from the founding fathers. They were saturated in the word of God. They knew the Bible. They had it in their head, and most of them had it in their heart. Probably the least uh, spiritual, the least Christian, truly Christian man in our founding father's group was Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was not a believer. He was a great friend of George Whitfield, but he... Rejected Whitfield's God. 
But Benjamin Franklin said, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become more corrupt and vicious, they will have to have more control, more masters. And if you were to read, I wish I had it, we heard it read yesterday, Benjamin Franklin's prayer or Benjamin Franklin's speech when the Continental Congress, the Constitutional Convention rather, was just about to break up. He stood and he said, we must begin every session with prayer and humble, humbly asking God to bless. He said, if a sparrow cannot fall, Without God's knowledge, then certainly no nation can rise without his aid. And he said, I propose that this Congress never begins a day without beseeching God for help. And that's the reason if you go to Congress now, even though a lot of them probably... Don't pay much attention to it. Every day Congress begins with an opening prayer. I hope that continues. So what did they do right? They wrote a constitution based on biblical principles of liberty and justice. They eventually outlawed slavery. They defended freedom in two world wars. And they moved to establish justice for all in the civil rights movement. So what is our greatest enemy? Well, it's not those uh, knuckleheads that I was talking about earlier. They're not our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is not communism or socialism. Our greatest enemy is personal sin. That's our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is that selfishness that we have inherited from Adam all the way down to this present day. Our greatest enemy is sin. So what is our greatest hope? It is knowing a Savior who has conquered sin or or, or avoided sin in his own life and then paid for sin with his own death. And now offers to us eternal life through faith in him. And then I'll close by asking this last question. What is our greatest responsibility? What is our responsibility? Well, I started out just one thing and then I kept adding to it. There's a bunch of them. But one is to trust God and obey God. Trust and obey There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. But we must also pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That's what God says.
so we must pray. But then we, I think we, it's important for us to speak. We need to talk. We need to say. We need to confront sin where we find it. We need to speak up and speak out. We need to witness. We need to tell other people that there is a Savior. And then in our country, we have the responsibility to vote. In biblical days, no country, nobody got to vote on who was going to be the next king or the next Caesar. Nobody said, well, I vote for Augustus. No. You just bowed to Augustus. You didn't vote for him. In our country, we have the privilege and great responsibility to carefully examine the candidates the parties, the principles. We need to listen to what what does this political party stand for? What does this political party stand for? And then we lay it alongside God's word and we say, which one? You say, "Well, well, I don't like certain personalities. Well, I'm not even crazy about my personality sometimes. But that's not really the important question. The question is, what are the policies? What are the principles? Where, where does this group want to take us? Where does this group want to take us? And then we cast our vote for the policies that are most in line with the Word of God. And there probably won't be a political party that matches mine perfectly. But there's there's some that absolutely don't match. I've said before, I could never, ever vote for a candidate or a political party that advocates the murder of unborn babies. I could never, ever vote for and support a political party that favors the marriage of men to men and women to women and takes a soft approach to sin. So, I won't tell you who, who I'll be voting for or anything like that. But I can tell you who I won't be voting for. So, when I question a candidate, those are some things I want to know, along with about eight other questions. So we have that responsibility. We have that privilege to elect our own representatives to decide who will be our mayor, who will be our our governor, who will be our senators, state senators and representatives, who will be our national senators and representatives, and who will be our president. We have, you realize what a great privilege that is and what a rare thing that is. So we can pray, and we do pray, and we say, God bless America. But God will bless America to the degree that we honor God, to the degree that we listen to him, to the degree that we obey him, to the degree that we believe him. He will honor God. And I tell you, Israel 
had a long history, but they turned from God to worship idols, and God sent them into exile. And for 70 years, they languished. Two generations died, many of them who had never seen Jerusalem. And they died in a foreign land. We read Psalm 133 yesterday where they cried and wept, sat down by the rivers of Babylon. We sat down and we wept and we hung our harps on the willow trees. And the inhabitants of that land said, Sing us one of your songs of Zion. Sing about the great days that you used to have. And we said, How can we sing the Lord's songs in a conquered land. I want my great-grandchildren to grow up in an America that is greater than America was in the 1800s, greater than it was in the 1900s, much greater than it is right now. But I know that will not happen unless the Christian people of this generation stand up and speak up and tell the truth about God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray today for our country Lord, I know that it is not out of control. Sometimes if I watch CNN, I feel like everything's out of control. But I know you're in control. You are able to take the hearts of the most hardened people today and soften their heart. You did that to my heart over 60 years ago. And I know you can do it to the hearts of people today and I pray in the name of Jesus Lord please send a great revival in our country stir our hearts to love righteousness your word says what does the Lord require of you O man but to do justice to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God So I ask that you will help us do those things because we trust in Jesus and love him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.